0: I hope that your schedule is clear till five (laughs) o'clock. Actually, you have four pages of notes, and this, this study has nine pages of notes. I just gave you the first four pages. So we'll see how well we do with just the first four pages on this. Very, very important subject. Did you notice the words in that last hymn we sang? Justified sanctified salvation glorified you notice all those words those words to most Christians don't mean a thing and and I just if we can we want to pour some meaning into these words that word sanctified somebody thought that meant the coffee sanctified they, they had a they had a fella in high school they they y'all know what Sanka is they don't even advertise that anymore do they anybody know what Sanka is Sanka coffee it was it was the first decaf coffee that came out they called it Sanka and so they call this fellow Sanka and they wondered why they were calling him Sanka and they said well that the word Sanka means 99% active ingredients removed from the bean so so this is this is not sanctified it's sanctified sanctified and a very very important word and we'd have to add several more pages if we were going to go into all the dimensions of it we're we're sanctified by the holy spirit for salvation and then we're sanctified after salvation so there are two aspects of sanctification we're going to deal more here and uh, in, in, in our study here, we're going to deal more with the idea of what God does in our life after we are saved, after we are saved. So um, we are going to look again at a word that it's, it's got, with a lot of people, it has kind of a negative response you get. You people believe in holy, being holy, and uh, uh, this business of being holy is like you're going to um, put on sackcloth, and you're going to sit in the corner, and you're going to think pure. Um, The idea of having a sanctified Christian life is, I think, just mostly not understood and greatly misunderstood. Now there are three ideas we'll start with that are at the top of the outline. Sanctification is the reestablishment. Now what does it mean to re-establish something? It means something was previously in place. You've lost it. It's gone. and you're putting it back in place in your life. Now, um, if you've lost all your financial credibility, you can re-establish that, can't you? But it's something that you've lost and you you get it back by process of reestablishing it. Well, what is reestablished here is the divine creative purpose in the lives of the redeemed. It is absolutely amazing how many of us are born unsaved with any sense of divine purpose in our lives. The only purpose we know is taking care of number one. What do I want to do? Where do I want to go? What do I what kind of job do I want to have? How much money do I want to make? Where do I want to live? What kind of a woman or a man do I want to marry? What do I want? What kind of a car do I want to drive? What kind of an airplane do I want to own? What do I, 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 I? And the problem is that after we get saved, a lot of that hangs around. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. So, so a- after we are saved through the work of the Holy Spirit of God and spiritual growth in our lives, the reestablishment of divine created, now notice the word created, purpose, happens to us. Happens to us. When you go to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, the only thing you have now you've got, is a is creation complete after chapter 1. How many days of creation are there? Seven. How many days in chapter 1? Seven. So was the creation completed? Was there anything lacking? Now, Genesis 2 tells us how some of that took place. It gives us an, another time framework and shows us how Adam was created, how the Garden of Eden was planted, how the woman was created out of the man. It tells us that. But... In Genesis chapter, are you awake? This is too too early in the afternoon. Uh, In Genesis 1 and 2, is there anything, anything in existence in the world? Is there anything in existence in the world outside of God's divine purpose and plan? Nothing. Everything in chapters 1 and 2 is filled with, subject to, and in the realm of God's divine plan and purpose, now, were you are still awake? Where you have design, you have purpose. Your car has wheels on it for a purpose because it's designed to go places. To, uh, and and so, anything that has design, this this building has design because it, it, the design is the purpose. It gives it gives it a purpose. The purpose and the design are together, say. Now, God's creation was totally designed. And that means it had every bit of God's creation. Now, no secular now, okay? No sacred and no secular. Everything had divine purpose. The trees had divine purpose. The animals had divine purpose. The garden had divine purpose. Everything in chapters 1 and 2 had divine purpose. Because it had divine design. So now, what happened in chapter 3? Well, man walked away from that. And we are born in a state where divine plan and purpose has no part of our lives. We're dead to God and alive to sin. And sanctification is a process that takes place after we are saved that brings our entire life back into, it reestablishes in our lives, divine creative purpose. Does that make sense to you? God is doing something. And we've lost something. There's something absent. There's something missing. And and so this needs to be reestablished. Now notice the second line there. A return. A return to created and biblical norms. Now what is the norm for marriage? Adam and Steve or Adam and Eve? Now, the biblical... The created design and purpose is the norm. And we are being told that that norm is wrong in our culture today. Our president believes that that norm is wrong and is sinful. In fact, he calls it sinful. So there is a norm that is there because God created things for divine purpose. And if they operate within that divine purpose, there's no sin. God is glorified and man is benefited to the nth degree. So there is a return then, sanctification brings us a return to created and biblical norms. And we're going to see some of these in the text. When Paul got to Corinth, man, oh, there were no biblical norms in Corinth when he got there. And he ends up in that famous text, such were some of you. You're sanctified, you're justified. Your life has been changed. You've been brought back to the biblical norm. It's called sanctification, okay? Now, on the third line there, it's the idea of bringing our entire life into the realm of the kingdom of God. Now, what is the significance of the kingdom of God? Who, who rules in the kingdom of God? whose will is done in the kingdom of God, who is glorified in the kingdom of God. And we are born born again into the kingdom of God, but our whole life ain't there yet. Right? And there has to be something that's going going to modify to where everything in our life is brought into the kingdom of God. And again, for a believer... There is no sacred and no secular stuff. Everything that you can legitimately do belongs into the kingdom of God. You bring everything in your life. You bring your your physical health. You bring your uh, mental health. You bring your social contacts. You bring your money. You bring your abilities. You bring your possessions. You bring everything that you've got into the kingdom of God. Why not? Why should God not be glorified in every dynamic of your life? Give me an answer for that. Why should he not? And how in the world would your life be destroyed if that happened? So much negative attached to sanctification. So Romans 8.28, and we're just going to take a thought off the end of this verse. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his what? Purpose. Purpose. According to whose purpose? According to divine purpose. And that word purpose means to put in place ahead of time. When did God decide that you were going to be one of his elect? Well, time-wise, it was before the foundation of the world. God didn't just, on a whim, create this entire universe and say, well, now now I've got to have some rules. I've created this world. I've created all of these stars and all of these angels and all of these men. And now, now I'm going to have to have some rules. So I'm going to write a rule book. No, no. No, no. He created everything with a forethought, purpose. Everything has purpose in life. Every event in life has purpose. And so, uh, God's design is put in place ahead of time. And, and our problem is we don't always know what his design is. Where in the world do we find that out? Where do we find out God's purposes? We, we find them out in his word, say, and we have to study and we ask hard questions and we try to figure this thing out. And we say, what is God's purpose for? What's God's will? for God's will and God's purpose are the same thing. And we say, what is God's will for my life? What purpose does he have? Now, remember again, this big thing of the secular and the sacred. There isn't anybody here that has a secular occupation if you're a believer. Did you hear me? There's nobody in this house has a secular occupation. Everything that you are doing, God wants done. And it it can be done in in and for and through the kingdom of God. That gives it some meaning, I would think. If there's divine purpose in it, meaning whether you eat or you drink, do all to the glory of God. Okay? So There is divine purpose put in place ahead of time. Sanctification is the process where this begins to be put in place in our lives. As we seek the Lord, as we read his word, as we grow in grace, our lives change. All right? In Colossians 1.13, God rescued us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son all right there is a change that takes place he rescues us out of the kingdom of darkness and he transfers us into a different kingdom now now if how, how many of you I, I think this i think this should not offend you how many of you are immigrants you come from another country how many of you are immigrants okay now, I have about two generations ago in my family were immigrants, okay? Some from Germany, some from Scotland. Now, may I ask you a question, you that are immigrants? Is there a culture shock when you come here? You better believe there's a culture shock when you come here. I wasn't born with a culture shock because my parents were already here. But if you come from another country and you come to America, there is a culture shock. And may I say this, when you are saved and you are living in the kingdom of darkness and you come into the kingdom of light, there's a culture shock. There's a culture shock. Because the two cultures ain't the same. You see what I'm trying to tell you? It's a brand new culture. And you come into a church like this and you say, wow, what are these people all about? Why did they do this stuff? And there's a culture shock. And may I say, if we don't have a Bible-believing church, if we have a church without a culture shock when people come in, if everything they in their ungodly kingdom of darkness is in our church, we've got the wrong kind of a church. We've got the wrong kind of a church. Somebody said, look, if we did if people are offended by our music, if they're offended by what's in the kingdom of light, ooh, that's culture shock. And there's something wrong with the church if there isn't a legitimate now some of this, whoo, some of this stuff that goes on, this wild and woolly stuff. We're not talking about that. Not talking about that. So he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. He transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So there is a culture shock that happens. You, you don't do this and you don't do that. And In our church, we don't talk about the don't do's very much, but, but, but you, you do what is right and you get occupied in that and your life changes and what's wrong with you guys? You don't do this. You're just totally different. Culture shock, okay? It's two different kingdoms. And if there were two different kingdoms, then sanctification wouldn't be the it'd be an issue at all okay? now first Peter 2 and uh, this verse you you are a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you notice out of darkness into his marvelous light and this sanctification process, Takes us out of the kingdom of darkness, and it and our our minds are renewed, and our lives are renewed, our spiritual life is renewed. But this is a process. May I ask you again if you're an immigrant? Have you have you gotten used to the USA yet? I hope you haven't gotten used to a lot of it, because nobody ought to get used to a lot of what's over here. But 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 it, it there's a process, and it takes a long time to feel at home and it takes a long time to feel at home in a biblical christianity when especially when you come out of a pagan a pagan background so so this business of sanctification it reestablishes divine created purpose it returns us to created and biblical norms and it brings our entire life it's a process of bringing our entire life into the kingdom of god now so let's see you still awake all right you're going to sell your house or break your lease in your apartment you're going to move moving day has come so what you do is you take your purse and your billfold you get in your car and you go no you got some things you want to take along don't you and you're going to a new location, so what are you going to take along? Well, if you got valuable furniture, you're going to put that in the in the in the pot or the moving van, and 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 you're going to decide the things that you need to bring along. Some stuff you're going to say it's not worth bringing along. Forget it. You'll auction it off, or sell it, or put it in the dumpster. But all of the stuff that has any value, you're going to pack it up and put it in some kind of container and you're going to find some way to bring it along. Now, when you become a Christian, everything that is of any value in your life needs to be brought into the kingdom of God. You don't leave it in the kingdom of darkness. You don't leave it behind. You bring your entire life into the kingdom of God. Not part of it. All of it. Can you see that? No? So, when you get saved, that's moving day. And what you want to do is you don't want to leave anything valuable behind in that kingdom of darkness. You want to bring it all into the kingdom of light. The whole thing. And sanctification is that process. Now, the word sanctify, what does it mean? <clears throat> Now, notice the first statement. There are four four words in it under point point number one. God is uniquely holy. His holiness is his absolute infinite integrity. In sanctification, we enter into the realm of his absolute and infinite integrity. Um, The amazing thing about God is that he can't lie. God can't lie. Titus, is it two? Anyway, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie, the not lying God, God has integrity. God can't go back on his promises. God cannot deny the work of his son, Jesus Christ, for our sins on the cross. God cannot disown his own children for sins that have been fully atoned on the cross. Can't do that. God can't do that. God has absolute infinite integrity. And the holiness of God is his integrity, his absolute infinite integrity. Sanctification brings our whole life into integrity, into holiness, if you please. The root word, kadosh, and many scholars say it means to cut, but it has two ideas, I think, and we'll take a look at this in just a moment, but, but it's, it's rooted in the character of God. How many sins has God ever committed? Not one. Not one. God is absolute apart from evil, and he's absolutely apart for that which is right and good. There's those two aspects. And the idea of sanctify means that I become like God. I remove everything from my life that's evil and sinful. And I devote everything to what's good and right, period. There's those two, those two things. God's holiness is integrity. It means that in my life as a believer, I have moral integrity. I have intellectual integrity. I have ethical integrity. I have social integrity. I have financial integrity. I have emotional integrity. And people say, "Are you holy rollers? You holy rollers." Well, what is? I want you now. Hear me. I've got a question for you. Why do you object to integrity? What's your objection to doing things right? What's your objection to moral integrity? What's your objection to financial integrity? What's your what? What, what is? What's what's your objection? You want everything to be false and lying and falling apart and immoral does that you want that's that what you're telling me that's better so sanctification is a good thing and we all need sanctification and we all to have a sincere desire to be completely sanctified doesn't mean we go nuts and crazy and we do all of these stupid things and we start rolling in the aisles that has nothing to do with that kind of baloney it has to do with the practical life that we live in relationship with God and everybody else. Okay. So, no, look at your outline. You got an old. You got an Old Testament there, capital letter A, and it says that sanctification is rooted in the character of God, and it is. So, if you don't like sanctification, then you're going to have to tell me what's wrong with God. God hasn't made a league with the devil. Is that what's wrong with him? What's wrong with God? God doesn't reward immorality and, 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 and condone it. I, I, what, what's wrong, say? And I've taken just, just a couple smidges from, from the theological word book, if you can abide this for just a moment. Uh, it says uh, in the first paragraph, the biblical viewpoint would refer the holiness of God not only to the mystery of his power, but also to his character as, underline this, totally good. And secondly, entirely without evil. Now, could you worship a God that was not totally good? Would you? Would you worship a God that was not totally good? Would you worship a God who was not entirely without evil? Would you worship that kind of a God? That's, that, isn't that a legitimate question? That's a legitimate question. So we have the the scripture, be ye holy, because I'm holy. I have integrity. Quoted from the Old Testament, the so-called holiness code is heavily ethical. Man was made in the image of God and capable of reflecting the divine likeness. Sanctification is bringing us into that divine likeness. All right? And as God reveals himself as ethically holy, he calls men to a holiness resembling his own. Shouldn't he do that? Isn't my life better if I do that? Isn't my world, the world in which I live, the world of people in which I live, isn't it a better world if that takes place in my life? Isn't it? Now, Kadosh has two main aspects. Number one, and this is right in the middle of those two paragraphs, means dedicated to that which is good. What's wrong with that? What's radical about that? All right? Secondly, separated from that which is evil. And what's wrong with that? And what's radical about that? I think we ought to be on God's side of every issue. The paragraph to follow that which was dedicated to God was conceived as, of as entering the sphere of the holy. This included various elements of the Levitical wor- wor- worship called holy things in Leviticus fifteen, or I'm sorry five. The produce of the land, personal property, spoils obtained in military action—all these were devoted to God, and they were called holy things because they were God's. May I ask you: Is there anything in your life that's not a holy thing? See that's the question. Everything in our life needs to be a holy. Thing it needs to be dedicated to God. Yes or no? See everything in our life, and that which was in t- inherently holy or designated so by divine decree or cultic right was not to be treated as common. You, do, you don't take you don't take a life that belongs to God and treat it like it has no value. Everything in your life has value. If it given to God yes or no say okay so the last line there while the realm of the holy was conceptually distinct from the world with its imperfections it could nevertheless operate within the world as long as its integrity was strictly maintained you and I are in the world and we are not of the world and biblically speaking, we can maintain a spiritual integrity in the middle of a corrupt society. We're lights shining in a dark place. Did I read that right? We're lights shining in a dark place. We're not joining the corruption of the darkness. We're shining as lights in a dark place. Now, Numbers eight seventeen at the bottom of that page, For every firstborn among the sons of Israel is mine. Among the men, among the animals, on the day I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them for myself. Which means he consecrated, sanctified, prepared, dedicated, hallowed, and so on, to himself. He set it apart, consecrated it to himself. Now, the question at the bottom of the page. Are you ready for the question? All right. Will you read the question, please, at the bottom of the page? I'll read it aloud, but you read along. What really is the goal of salvation in our personal lives, if not that which is described in this verse? To set your life apart. I should have an A on that. That's a typo. To set your life apart exclusively unto God for his glory look at that question again look at that question again what really is the goal of salvation I'm not going to hell now I'm going to heaven wow 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 but there's more than that have you ever thought what what uh, what kind of a legacy do you want to do you want to leave when they put you in a little box, if it's metal or wood or whatever it is they put you in a little box and they say all kinds of nice things about you and and, and, and and they and they and they do this. What do you want to be known for? Would not the greatest ambition in life be that you were known as one who lived for the glory of God? Huh? Wouldn't that be? Wouldn't that be a good tribute? Huh? So so why does God save us? He saves us to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's why he saved us. He didn't save us so we could have the American dream and stay in the kingdom of darkness. He didn't, he didn't do that. He saved us so that we could become a part of the kingdom of light. So sanctification becomes tremendously important page two page two we have the New Testament here you have the word Hagiazzo, and the root of that word means holy again the holiness of God is his integrity in the New Testament first Thessalonians 5 may the God of peace himself sanctify you partially you're not reading May the God of peace sanctify you partially, entirely. May your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever asked God to do this for you? I have. This is a good prayer. This is a good prayer. All right, Freiberg says, notice uh, Hagiadzo there, you can't read that, but it's in the colored font. It means to make holy, consecrate, sanctify, things set apart for sacred purposes, consecrate, dedicate, if God's name to treat is holy, and so on. Briggs and Driver says, pertaining to be totally complete with implication of meeting a high standard, that you may be preserved, complete, meeting a very high standard, quite perfect. And when he says entirely, sanctify you entirely, it means pertaining to be complete in all of its parts, every dynamic of your life and being, meeting all expectations with integrity, whole, complete, undamaged, intact, and blameless. Two basic ideas, then, in sanctification. Number one, to separate from to remove from the kingdom of darkness. Number two, to set apart unto, which, would, which means to bring completely into the kingdom of light. You have the note there. And, and here is, where where am I on the clock on this thing? I'm getting close. Um, two basic, I, I, no, take the note here. Sanctify, sanctification, number one, is thoughtful. This is not something that's glibly, lightly done, emotionally done. It's a thoughtful, deliberate act of the human will in response to our eternal salvation. Now I'm in trouble. Pastor, you got in trouble with the clock this morning, and I'm in trouble with the clock. I am in trouble with the clock. I am. My, my definition of cruel and unusual punishment, two things. Number one, the clock, and number two, the calendar. Those are my definitions, okay. So let me see what I've got here. Let me see what I've got here. Okay, l- let me just begin. Let me introduce point number two, okay? Point number two. Why do we need to be sanctified? Now, we'll further explain a lot of what we've already said, all right? and catch it from a different angle. But I can I can take point A here and I think that this will be helpful to us. All right? Four basic presuppositions that we have here. Genesis 1 verse 26. Will you please this if you, if you know this you need to read it again. Okay, don't 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 take for granted you know this, you've heard it and you know it, okay? Now, walk with me through this text, please. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make. This is the word asah. It means to take something and to make man out of it. In our what? Image. In our image, according to our What? Likeness. You got two words: image and likeness. Okay. Sanctification has to do with bringing our life into the image and likeness of God. Why did God make man? To be in, in Satan's image. To be in the image of the culture. Why did God make man? See, what's what? How did we get here? For what reason? Okay. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, man is to have an extremely important appointment. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the cattle, over all the earth. Now, just underline those three words. All the earth. All... Who was supposed to rule? Man was supposed to rule. Am I right on this? I'm going to create a man to take charge of this thing. This is going to be his kingdom. I'm going to put him in charge of all of this. Eric Sauer is a theologian who wrote a book, The King of the Earth. And the king of the earth was, from this text, was man. God intended man to rule all the earth. Now, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, God created, here's Barah, he made out nothing, man in his own image. Now, the body came from the dust of the ground. His soul and spirit came from God, created from nothing. So he was both made and made from nothing. God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God, by the way, the male and female is bara. So the female is not only a physical body, it's her spiritual and, and, and uh, soulish makeup. It came from God directly. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue, which means subjugate it, which means rule over it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Every living thing. Now, I'm going to revise these notes for next week. And I have here a text out of Hebrews chapter 2. And so it should be in your notes. Hebrews 2.6. I think it's time to go home. You are dying down on me. Okay. What is man that you remember him, the son of man, you are concerned about him? Now, listen here. This is an explanation of what happened in Genesis 1 and verse 26 and 27, 28. You have made him for a little while lower than the angel's. So God did not put his creation in this world in charge of angels. He put it in charge of Adam. A man. Okay. Now, there are three things in this text. You have crowned him. You crowned man. You crowned Adam and Eve with glory and honor. God didn't just, like a slave owner, say, now this is what you got to do. He said, I am going to give you the whole thing. It's all yours. You're to rule it. It is your domain. It is your realm. You talk about dignity. You have crowned man with glory and honor. And when you come to chapter 3 and the devil comes along and accuses God of ill motives, wow! As if the devil is going to do this for Adam and Eve and more. He's going to take all this away from them. You lose your glory and honor when you end up in the wrong kingdom. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Secondly, you have appointed him over the works of your hands. This is God's world, God's universe. And he appointed man over that which was his. Let me ask you a question. Supposing that I am a billionaire and I have a corporation that is worth $25 billion. And I come to you and I say, I want to, I want to put this whole thing under your charge and supervision. You are the boss. You're going to run this thing. You're going to profit from it. It's yours. You are in charge. Now, I own it. I own it. How many of you think it might be an honor to be appointed the CEO of a $25 billion corporation? And a friend of yours comes along and says, "Oh, he's just got ulterior motives. That's Genesis chapter 3. He's just trying to keep you from realizing your potential. He just honored and glorified you and gave you this kingdom. And the devil is saying God did it with the wrong kind, of with bad motives. Like he talks to you and says God wants your life just so that he can do what he selfishly wants to do with it. And he wants to deprive you of all these good things. You've appointed him over the works of your hands and you have put all things in subjection under his feet. He has absolute authority to do the job. You say it and it's done. That's what happened in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 27, 28. You talk about, you talk about an awesome An awesome occupation. Wow. So, we have these four presuppositions. Number one, man was created by a direct act of God. Number two, he was to bear in every dynamic of his life and being the image of his creator. Number three, he was to live and function exclusively within God's divine purpose with which he was assigned. And then number four, sin, messed it all up. He lost it all. He walked out of it. He was disbarred from the Garden of Eden. What a mess when he got done. Well, when we get saved, we get to take all this destruction and ruin in the kingdom of darkness... And we get to bring everything legitimate on over into the kingdom of light and rebuild everything that God wanted us to have in the first place. That we didn't have because we were birthed of Adam who walked out on God and threw the whole thing away. Absolutely amazing. To be sanctified. So we'll come back to that. And we need to be sanctified because There is something great to which to return. May I ask you a question? Do you know what's going to happen to you? Ultimately, do you know what God's ultimate purpose is for you? What is God's ultimate purpose for you as a believer? God's ultimate purpose for you as a believer is to glorify you with his Son, Jesus Christ. Wow. Me? God has that purpose in mind for me? Well, you can't explain the work of the cross without that. That's what he has in mind. Sanctification, woohoo! If you do it right, it takes you out of despair and ruin into glory. It's a hard journey. It's fraught with temptations and struggles and difficulties, setbacks. It's fraught with all of these things. But wow! The blessing of God in that journey. So we'll talk some more about that next Lord's Day. Now I thought of singing a hymn of consecration at the end of this message. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that because this is a struggle that we have. And so if you're going to walk this road, uh, you'll need to walk it in the light of hymn number 659. In the light of hymn 659. Soldiers of Christ, arise, put your armor on because this is how we get there this is not a cakewalk this is not a picnic but it sure is a blessed walk as we walk with the Lord six five nine and we'll let pastor come and lead us in in this closing hymn hey how's your moving day going how much is left in the old house, and how much have you got moved over, see? The goal is to get all the good stuff moved over, see, into the kingdom of light. So I hope your moving is making good progress. Now, how many of you have moved in five minutes? Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. It takes a long time. you got to make a lot of trips. It takes a lot of, lot of doing to get all everything over where it needs to be in the new residence. May the Lord bless you.